Hey guys, uh, NIA fam. Uh, this episode we're starting with Trung talking uh, because, uh, well, news is I left the hustle. No longer the lead writer at the hustle. So that was an announcement. So we switched it up today. But we're here with Bilal Zaidi and uh, Jack Butcher. Um, today's a little bit more serious. We obviously this podcast is, you know, Web3 memes, jokes and internet and, and you know, what's happening in business uh, and obviously lots of jokes. But today we're not going to be doing the jokey stuff. Um, we wanted to talk about Russia uh, and Ukraine, uh, Russia's brutal invasion of the Ukraine. Uh, our thoughts are, uh, are going out to the citizens of Ukraine, anybody affected uh, by what's happening. But we did want to uh, touch on aspects of this crisis that we think could be valuable for the listeners. Uh, there's Because there, this is hitting every part of society, right? And this is definitely one of those moments uh, in history where you'll look back and you'll remember when it happened. Um, and, and, you know, not to be overly cliche, but I think this is one of those things that um, will we'll never be the same. And we'll discuss why we think that uh, along kind of the effects on crypto, big tech, a uh, little bit on geopolitics. That's really out of our wheelhouse, but uh, we do want to kind of uh, give a good framing on it. But we hope you enjoy the episode. And uh, I mean, did you guys have any thoughts on... Uh, what we were feeling, we knew we had to record, right? And we want to give some good perspective, but also understand the weight of the situation. Yeah, completely. Yeah, I think we'll we'll get straight into it. And um, yeah, maybe a slightly different type of episode compared to usual, but let us know what you think of this one as well. Absolutely. Great. Well, let's just get straight into it then. From a higher level, like what is changing in the world? because of what's happened in the last week. Right. So, I mean, this is from Richard Fontaine. So the good thing here is I'm just going to pair what he wrote in this very viral tweet thread. So we don't have to hold my word for it. Richard Fontaine is the CEO of the Center for New American Security. He's qualified. Uh, so he kind of laid out some points. He's like, listen, over the weekend, some things about the global landscape have completely changed. Like, it, it is so obvious these will never go back to the way they were. So number one is obviously disconnecting Russia from the global economy. We're going to talk more about this. But, you know, BP is withdrawing its uh, 20% stake in Rosneft, which is one of Russia's largest oil players. Um, Uber is trying to sell its stake in uh, the equivalent of uh, uh, Uber in Russia, which is part of Yandex, a big tech company. Um the banking situation, we're going to talk about uh, Russia was removed from the financial system, essentially from SWIFT. Uh, their central bank assets have been frozen. Um, but now let's talk about, so Russia, that's well known. European countries significantly affected. Uh, Germany is a huge one because Germany for basically the last two decades, they're very reliant on Russian energy and they have basically not found a way to bridge the Russian energy and this green economy that they're trying to move to. And uh, after Fukushima, they actually shut down all the new, a lot of the nuclear reactors, I think maybe even all. And uh, that was their green future potential. But instead, they've latched onto Russia's economic uh, uh, oil economy, which means their kind of initial reaction to the Ukraine crisis was, you know, are we sure we want to do sanctions? Are we sure we want to have a hard hand? Because we're so closely tied to Russia. And basically, after a few days, it became clear they couldn't hold that line. They had to cancel the Nord, uh, Nord 2 Streams project, which was a natural gas line uh, from uh, Russia. This is a huge project. Uh, if you want to go down the quote-unquote conspiracy route, some people think that the U.S. kind of want Russia to go into Ukraine because uh, that means that this project would be canceled and America's natural gas 
uh, would be where Germany would have to go to uh, to get their energy needs. Uh, so, so, so there's G- that. Germany just has like no natural resources to the to the, like to fuel at their the scale economy. it would need to fuel itself. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So they had they had the nuclear reactors which they shuttered. And uh, a lot of it had to do with the green movement, like Greta Thunberg. Like people were tweeting, like you're going to let Greta Thunberg decide your entire geopolitical life, because that's essentially, effectively, what it is. They married themselves to Russia. Um, that changed swiftly. It sounds like they're going to turn back the nuclear reactors. Uh, they canceled the uh, massive pipeline project with Russia, and this is a huge one. So since World War II, uh, the world has not wanted to militarize Germany for obvious reasons, right? The last time they were super militarized was under Hitler and the Nazis. So Germany has had this pacifist stance, similar to Japan, uh, but they announced over the weekend they're going to put their they're going to go above the NATO spending requirement, which is two percent of your GDP on uh, defense. It sounds like they're going to go above that, which affect in absolute dollar terms it means I think fifty to hundred billion dollars in defense spending. Because at the end of the day, Germany is the biggest country in Europe, right? They're the biggest economy. Uh, they have the best manufacturing and uh, they have this massive power base and they're kind of just a power that's kind of whittling away and allowing uh, kind of the winds of destiny to take it. And it looks like they're taking that back in their hands. And, the, you know, people, for understandably, people were fearful of it for decades. The same thing's happening in Japan, actually, where... People want uh, a lot of people in Japan want to remilitarize, and obviously the world is worried about what happened last time Japan was militarized. So that's Germany. Their energy situation has changed overnight. Their defense situation has changed overnight. Uh, Finland and Sweden were on the fence uh, adjoining NATO or picking which side because if you're Finland, you're on the border with Russia, right? You and Russia invaded Finland in 1939. It was beginning of the World War II. By joining and aligning yourself with NATO, you become a target for Russia now. But clearly, after what's happened, it, these two countries are like, you know what? Maybe we don't have a choice anymore. Um, Switzerland, neutral. Uh, and we talked about this last week, right? I actually, I look like an idiot now. I'm like, can you imagine if a country like Switzerland just froze assets? But I mean, this is a much different situation than a bunch of truckers rolling up into Ottawa and Canada. Uh, they're responding to a very serious uh, incursion of a sovereign nation. Uh, just a couple more and quickly. So, and Trunk, just to clarify for yeah. people who might not have read that, Switzerland did, they have frozen assets, right? Yeah, they, they will freeze assets of the uh, individuals targeted uh, for uh, as part of this global uh, sanction that we're going to talk about. Yeah. Uh, and then the last two I'll add is... Uh, the EU, uh, in addition to Germany, uh, have increased their military spending or look like they will. And they're also giving weapons to the Ukraine. And they're all, and Ukraine just signed, uh, Prime Minister Zelensky just signed an agreement to uh, apply for U- EU membership, which a lot of people thought was, you know, for Ukraine, that looked like it was going to take decades or however long to join. If they ever did, they were offered it and they signed. And now uh, Ch- and China, you know, this we, we don't not can get into this deeply, but They've been pretty quiet on this. This morning, which is uh, Tuesday morning, they said that they will try to help on peace talks or potentially some type of uh, resolution to the conflict. But at the very beginning, they didn't say very much because they obviously have their own territorial issues uh, in East China, with uh, particularly Taiwan. So those issues, uh, just to summarize, uh, they come from Richard Fontaine, uh, uh, from the uh, CEO of the Center of New American Security. Those things completely changed. The world has completely changed on those fronts. So... Love your guys' thoughts on that. Yeah, great summary, man. Jack, anything come to mind, mate? 
No, I think um, I've been not as close to it as um, as you, Trung, but the idea of like energy as a national security issue is something that I like all over my feed and the information right. that I read just because so many crypto Bitcoin advocates talk about like the concept of like energy as the fundamental resource that secures a nation or like a community or anything right and it's just fascinating to see that like be catapulted into the forefront of the discussion right. when we're really just like having these hypothetical nonsensical you know reality like void of reality discussions for totally. years and years and years so it's like fascinating to see that play out and then the other thing just as a comment on the entire situation is like the people that were dragged into this on both sides as citizens is i think um vitalik buterin had a very eloquent tweet on this like the citizens of russia particularly like well everybody who is on the like who isn't involved in making decisions about this conflict is suffering and yeah. the economic sanctions placed on like the the second third fourth order effects of combating the russian like the people who decided to essentially invade a sovereign nation is like the ripple effects onto the citizens of russia is something that is largely i don't know if it's caught up now but in the early days were like glossed over you know like people who have no desire 100%. to be involved in this conflict which is the majority of, of even the soldiers everybody. themselves right like the, a lot of the soldiers it looks like and again this is the fog of war we don't know the truth of it uh, entirely but there seems to be a situation here where of the 190,000 or so troops lined up on the border that and i'm large i think half had, have entered ukraine they thought they're on a training mission they had no idea Jesus that it was live Christ. rounds, live ammunition. They didn't realize. And then a lot of them have just walked away, right? There's, again, the fog of war. We don't know what's true or not, but I would suspect that some of this seems very true. They're just leaving the equipment and leaving the war. It's like, we're, we're going to talk about this more about the information side, but like, so Russia during World War II, right? The, they lost 20 million people to, to defeat Hitler. In Western perception, people forget about this. The World War II was won in Europe by the Russians, right? They, they sacrificed 20 million people. But also the, the motivation, the attitude, the, the will that was brought up to do that was defeat such a clear evil, right? Which was Hitler. The, right now, it's Putin just telling his country that, oh, by the way, uh, Ukraine are a bunch of Nazis and we're going to invade them. There's, the pretext for it is so clearly false. And... The information environment in Russia is very insular, right? So there is a, so much propaganda, and there's certainly a large portion of the 150 million population that believes Putin's thing. But this is not like 1940 when Stalin was saying, hey, listen, it's Hitler or we're going to die, right? Uh, the case being made by Putin seems very different. So the reason I just wanted to bring that up, I, I didn't want to necessarily go down this road, but to your point, Jack, it's like there are so many people that are getting caught up Number one is the Ukrainians, right? The Ukrainian citizens. Absolute horseshit, terrible, awful what's happening in Ukraine. Uh, but the, the second order consequences for just an average person in Russia, average Russian citizen, I mean, their life, they're also getting pulled off. They're also getting completely rugged, right? And it, it has to do to your original points. Like, this is a decision made. It's not even a small group of people. It's Putin. Like, it's almost certainly just him making these decisions, right? 
him and, on that um, long table we've all seen the picture yeah, right? dude, unbelievable <laughs> yeah but uh yeah wild man it, it's just so hard not to talk about everything but you know we we stay focused here so well to try, to- i think you brought up the point here so there's two points i was hearing there one is kind of like the the sanctions part which we can maybe go into a little bit more detail in a second but what you just alluded to there is the information side as well the information right. warfare and uh, just uh, i heard someone say this recently uh, i might butcher this but something along the lines of the first casualty of war is the truth or something like yeah, that and it basically you know like what we were seeing in a very short period of time is obviously just you know what is proliferating proliferating on our feeds right like basically what i've seen i'm sure most of you have seen as well is like we've seen some pretty cool stories that sound really cool but then when you sorry let me clarify the war is not cool at all but like cool stories of resistance they capture the imagination right exactly exactly yeah so there was the one i don't know if you guys saw this of the old lady putting a a seed in uh like a army officer's soldiers pockets basically saying like you're gonna need these because if you get killed they're gonna grow right they're gonna grow sunflowers or something like that and then there was the um this one guy apparently who's like taking down all these airplanes and he's this single guy that um, goes to kiev that goes it was to a, kiev actually exactly. I'll, I'll rattle off the really famous ones so these and, and just ahead, once you do that it would be great to understand like do you know if these are real or are these stories oh, well, i'll tell you though i'm telling you four that went viral that are not true so these exactly. have been debunked the snake island remember the 13 soldiers that said uh, go f yourself to the russian navy they are still alive that uh, and again this is the fog of war where again you're not below you're saying it's like you're not looking for something quote unquote cool it's just like this is human emotion right it's war it's the most primal part of our brains where and you're just looking for something to latch onto. so that story instantly goes viral right it's a heroic story turns out not to be true the ghost of kiev is a single fi- uh, jet fighter uh, from the ukrainian air force which apparently took down six to ten uh, uh russian jets that footage turned out to be from a video game um, there's a lot of footages of young children uh, approaching soldiers like and going viral saying, oh, look at this a Ukrainian a girl approaching a soldier, like uh, uh, saying that she's disappointed. Apparently that's from Palestine. Um, and then there's a really, there's this photo of a, a, the, the Japanese ambassador to Ukraine. Did you guys see this one? He had the sword and uh, he basically said, I'm not leaving Ukraine because it's, you know, in my samurai blood to stay here. Something to that effect. Turns out that's also not true. So, the initial thing you said below is the first casualty of war is truth, right? If there is an absolute information warfare, we have no idea what's true. Um, what's different is, and, and you know, this is not going to be shocking to say, is there's so much more on the ground information is this is the first war of this magnitude, right? This is not to downplay what is happening in the Middle East, in Syria, in Iraq, uh, after because Twitter was founded in 2006. You know, the Arab Spring happened in 2010, 2011. So, and there have been conflicts all over the world, right? Myanmar, uh, East Asia, uh, Middle East. Just the scale of this is just what I want to emphasize. Why I think this is so different is because Russia, right, is it's a fully nuclear, it's the second biggest nuke country in the world, right? This is the highest probability of having a nuclear endgame since the 1980s. And I don't say that lightly, but if everybody doesn't think that that's a possibility or that possibility has gotten higher over the past week, even if that's from 1% to say 3% possibility, we're talking about complete annihilation of the world, right? So 
I think Bilal, you talked about this from the beginning, but there seemed to be this pushback against like when people say, oh, wow, this is like the first internet era war. It's like, and then people are being criticized for like, why wouldn't we get this reaction when this was happening in Syria, when Russia was bombing Syria? There is a, a ratcheting up because of what the consequences could potentially be, right? Like the, the, we could see a direct confrontation between NATO, United States and Russia, which would be just be absolutely catastrophic. Um, but yeah, to your point, uh, I want to highlight some things that were very popular that ended up or, or viral that ended up not being true. But the other part of the information that I want to talk about, and I love your guys' perception on it because we've all been in spirits in it, is like, would you agree that Russia, I mean, or Ukraine is kind of winning the information and public sentiment battle? Yeah, it seems to be from from what we're seeing in the West anyway. Right, fair yeah. enough, right? And, um, well, I, I think objectively they are because just considering all the actions taken by European exactly, nations, the right? US. Totally. Um, yeah, for sure. So the, it seems, that, well, Jack, what, are, what is your perception on like, uh, because this very much falls into this meme stuff we talk about, right? It's like, it's like- Yeah, 100%. Uh, yeah, I think it's like almost, um, I wouldn't say a self-fulfilling prophecy, but it's like, even in a strange way, like the- um, the guy that we referenced at the beginning of the um, of the podcast, where it's like I'm inserting myself into this conflict. Right. There's like all of these organizations or like people who you know have interactions with, like that aren't necessarily involved in this conflict that are using it as a like maybe a way to show support, but also I think like there's some poor judgment being executed across the board there too. And um, what was the one I saw? The Taekwondo, like the Taekwondo organization oh, right. took, yeah, I think Putin's black think belt away from him or something. Group, yeah. They stripped his black belt. And you're, what was your thought? You're like, wait, how is this relevant? Well, it's not how is it relevant. It's just like, um, it's like a, I think it was, you know, you guys know Nikita Beer. Yeah. The, I think he wrote something about like, like all of this poking at somebody's ego who is like obviously like a very uh, I don't know I don't even know the adjective right, but that's not something that's going to sit well. It's like people like all of these different organizations that are finding a way to insert themselves into the news because they have an affiliate like a connection to something and like you, American universities kicking Russian students out and stuff. Yeah. It's, it's just like. Some oh, of that stuff is like there's so much uh, the amount of signaling. It's virtual signaling, right? It's right. virtual signaling, but like, it's but example, it's not it's not consistent with the right. conflict. You're not targeting right. the the thing that or, like, is or not being consistent. Professors and academics, but you're like, wait a second. We need these communication lines, right? It's like you can It's like the point you brought up, Jack. It's like the people, the second, third order effects of the non decision makers who outside of Putin's circle is actually responsible for this, right? Is it really the Russian ballet dancer right. that's part of the New York ballet? Like, you're going to cancel and kick her out? Because these things I think that happen- actually hurts your case is what I'm trying to say. Sorry to talk over you. No, no, I think no, that dude, hurts please. the That really hurts, like, this idea of, hey, we're uh, acting in solidarity with people who got caught up in a conflict that they wanted no part of, right? Yeah. And you're perpetuating that on other people. Um, and the you know the taekwondo example is not a good example because obviously that is a direct hit at somebody who is involved but it's also kind of dumb and lame and stupid to like create a headline out of that in a moment like this right it's so um like 
it's so like i can't even think of words to describe it but it's like the fact that there's even been an ounce of attention spent on that in a moment like right. this just seems inappropriate so okay. it's like, a bit of a distraction is that would, correct. That, would you agree with that yeah a bit of yeah. a distraction yeah. from what's and, really it, and it's like the next thing it's like the um and I'm processing this. I'm not an expert, so I'm going to get my words wrong and maybe be misinterpreted. But like the, you remember the Joe Rogan mass formation psychosis, like, you know, that idea of everybody like rushing to a conclusion and like, there is an obvious conclusion of like who did something, uh, you know, unforgivably wrong. And then there are people who happen to be born in a country and have no, like, had no desire to be involved in a conflict like this and are caught up in the second, third, fourth order effects of it, especially economically. And I think we're going to talk a little bit more about some of that stuff later in the podcast. But that is the, like, when this thing gets in, like, whips into this, like, meme frenzy. And really, I think we kind of lose the focus of, like, who is responsible for this and like who is caught up in it and going to get hammered by a decision that they didn't make and they have no desire to be involved in this. But again, to caveat, not political advice, not investment advice. I have no idea what I'm talking about. I'm just spewing the feelings that come into my head. This is just, well, the one thing I'd ask you guys is, do, do you remember the last time something like this was just so obviously like, oh, this is huge. Like when it happened, you're like, okay, this is a, a major, major thing. And I mean, it, honestly, it harkens back to like the 9-11, 2003 Iraq invasion, right? Those are, and obviously when COVID, when COVID started, but like the COVID news in North America was, oh, Tom Hanks got COVID and Rudy Gobert got COVID, right? The basketball player. But that was when people's minds flipped about it. But this is like, oh the second largest nuclear nation in the world just did the largest land invasion since world war two. Like well, the Trump, trigger- what, what, you're the, you're the history buff on this. Like what about the Crimea um, and like the Russian attempts to expand or right. successful attempts to expand territory in recent time. history? I don't really I know that, a good amount about well, the that. instinct was that is like, so Georgia, 2008, uh, the areas that they went to in Georgia, which was uh, the bordering on Russia, uh, northern Georgia, large Russian populations, right? Same with Crimea. Crimea had a, frank, a pretty large Russian population. Historically, uh, that region, uh, Russia has laid claim on. Um, um, obviously, the way they captured it, um, to your point, is extremely aggressive. Uh, well, beyond aggressive, right? It was a lead up to what is now just a complete catastrophe. Um, but yeah, there was like, there's definitely a sense at that time that something should or could be done. But I think massing of the, just the numbers are just completely different, right? There's just, they're massing troops, they're going after Kiev. And I think it, it definitely, I mean, there's no question it feels different and it is different. Fair enough. Um, I, I, yeah, I don't want to linger too long on this information stuff because uh, it might take us into some areas we definitely are not qualified to speak about. But I think some stuff that I found interesting about uh, uh, some two things I'll add on the info stuff before you guys could finish it off was uh, so I read an interesting thread about why Russia is losing the information war. And uh, part of it was, I think I touched on it already is like they were framing it as entering the, as a peacekeeping mission, right? Uh, they're, they're, they're looking at it as a peacekeeping mission and in Donbass is how they framed it. Obviously, nobody believes them outside of Russia. But when they're framing it like that, 
they don't want to whip up kind of this national frenzy, right? Because if you're whipping up that national frenzy, it looks like you're going for a full invasion and it's no longer a peacekeeping mission. So they basically didn't even try to win the information war in that respect. And um, that basically allowed what's happened in the past week with Zelensky on social, Zelensky working, you know, I mean, former TV star, former TV host, former comedian. There's no question he understands camera and visual communication, right? And uh, I mean, we'll, we'll just show, this was, a, this was just the cleanest contrast that I'll show and then we can kind of move on from here. But like, if, you, if you're talking just from pure persuasion, just look at how, um, you know, Zelensky and, Here's how Putin's presented, right? Just basically a single czar uh, by himself making decisions in a cold bureaucratic way, which is basically what's happening. And then Zelensky, just one of the people uh, just using social media and communications uh, so effectively to rally the world around uh, the, you know, the, the courageous Ukrainian resistance. So, yeah, that's... Uh, yeah, I think that one day, him having coffee in the morning with the troops, that's... Yeah, like that, completely yeah, different yeah, yeah. to like a huge table from the other end, right? Saying do this. Exactly. Um, obviously, we're not seeing all the stuff on Putin's side and uh, as well. But I mean, like I agree with what you're saying, but at the same time, it seems like quite an authentic from the outside anyway. It seems like that's what oh, he yeah. is I'm about, not, right? Like, I'm not yeah, criticizing yeah, it. Yeah, I'm completely. just saying that it's very clear that. Uh, I mean, he's he's trained, right, for this is his career. And it, and it's a very important. There's no question. It's a very important skill uh, to look like a leader. Yeah. Trung, again, just since we were talking about it, you asked the question around when was the last time it felt this significant? Yeah. I'm curious from your historical buff perspective, um, like how would you compare this to, say, the war in Iraq or Afghanistan? Because obviously war in Iraq, there's similarities I'd point to, to try to be objective here, coming from the West. Uh, we were told there's weapons of mass destruction that yeah. ended up not being the case. A lot of people actually were against it as well, um, even in the West. So, and obviously a huge scale been that's going the, on that's for the thing, a long time. The scale of it, right? It was just a massive, massive invasion. Um, obviously, and people, I mean, this is going to get some trouble, I'm sure, with listeners, so I don't want to be too deep in it. But I mean, it was false pretenses, right? There's no question yeah. that the U.S. had false pretenses to go in. Um, uh, history has kind of uh, backed up that that perspective. But yeah, the, from a size angle, and you're like, oh, this is big. But again, there's the, the Russia-Ukraine thing just conspiral out, you know, and, and hopefully, you know, we'll get this out on Wednesday. Um, we don't want to make any predictions, but it's just like, no, nor should we, because why would you want to make a prediction about this? We're watching something terrible unfold, yeah. and and the consequences can just be crazy, right? It's just too. It, the end game is literally a nuclear standoff, which is quite scary. Yeah, completely. All right, so maybe we we can transition a bit. There are a couple more things in the Ukraine Russia stuff uh, we won't talk about. One was the response from big tech obviously that's something we cover on the show quite a lot including elon musk was there anything else on the sanctions trunk that we wanted to touch on or do we do you feel like we already covered that uh the last thing i want to add is i i, I think jack brought up such a good point and we can mention it too a little bit with the crypto is just the the the, the downstream effects of effectively freezing half of the russia's central bank assets so they have 630 billion dollars in their central bank and they had built this reserve so they knew that this might happen, right? Where the economy would be put in a straitjacket. But those reserves, half of them, literally sit on computers in the US, the EU, and the UK. That's like $300 billion right there. And the way it works is basically the, U, the, the US Fed 
owes that money to Russia. So if they call on it, you know, you give it back to them uh, uh, because those reserves, they hold it in, uh, in USD, but the U.S. Central Bank is holding them on a computer. Um, it's frozen, right? So that's going to lead through the banking system and, and the individuals are going to be affected. It, it is, and, you know, Balaji wrote a long thread about it. It's like, this is, the implications of it are so massive because you... Well, moving forward, Russia and China, especially China, China has been trying to de-dollarize for ages uh, because they know that this is a weapon that can be used against them. So that's just the main thing I say is I, I, th- I think this goes into the crypto conversation. Great. So, I mean, if you guys want to talk about the crypto stuff, I think it makes a lot of sense. For yeah, me. maybe let's transition to that. We can come back to big tech stuff. So, I mean, the story I'll, I'll share, obviously, is um, Twitter.com forward slash Ukraine, I think, had tweeted out, we're accepting donations in BTC and ETH. Um, there was some controversy around that because some people were saying it was hacked and the addresses were incorrect, which I, I don't know if what, what part of that was true. But I think they also did legitimately um, post that as well. And they were taking um, you know donations. The, the crypto communities have actually raised quite a significant amount. Um, I don't know the exact number. One of you two might have seen it. Um, obviously in the millions, I think it was like 20 million plus, something like that. There were NFT artists coming together and trying to raise money that way. Jack, our very own Jack, also did something um, on that as well. Actually, Jack, why don't you just share what, what exactly did you do and how, how did that finish up? Uh, I, won't spend t- it, I won't spend too long talking about it. It's just um, a single edition piece that donated to um, similar, similar to the Afghanistan execution that we talked about a few episodes ago or 10 episodes ago. Um, actually got the recipient from our friend Rick Burton, a couple, a guest from a couple of weeks ago. He donated to this organization called Endowment, who have vetted all of these on the ground charities in Ukraine. And it's just uh, an Ethereum symbol that takes on the color scheme of the Ukrainian flag, titleless sovereignty. You know, there's some uh, crossover in uh, thematic objectives there and uh yeah raised 50 ish grand to date um i was just going to say that as we're talking about that it's like i think these i think people using their platforms to raise money in times like these is important but it's also just i think the maybe this is more about the meme than the money as well because like in the grand scheme of things you know the the states that are behind this right like the even the elon musks of the world or germany switzerland whoever else like even raising a hundred million dollars the cost of war is like incalculable it's just absolutely unbelievable i think i read somewhere like on the russian side the cost of war is 20 billion dollars a day or something and i think there were some crazy numbers from the middle east that I forget, but like by the second, this thing is just like an incalculable amount of money. And obviously nation states have an exponentially bigger war chest financially to support. Um, so I think there's I think there's value in, in people doing this and crypto community is raising money. I think the the interesting thing is like understanding the like the size of the financial stimulus required to make a legitimate impact is 
gigantic enormous not to put down any efforts but um it's more of a, an, an idea to raise awareness and you know stand in solidarity with people who are caught up in conflict that they um and that's kind of true of the entirety of history right like these are like a few dozen people making decisions that are largely unsupported by right. multiple billions of people on both sides of this idea and the longer this the, the, or the both sides of this conflict and the longer this thing plays out is just like the more I think more critically about even the label of a country versus the label of a person or a group of people who have like made horrible decisions is I think we need to evolve past that idea too, because I like, I keep bringing this up every time I'm talking on this podcast, but there are people affected by this on, you know, every single side of the issue that had no desire to be caught up in it. And that's like, I think the largest tragedy of all of this is like, you make a villain of a flag when there's like people that are behind this thing and, and that, and ideas that are just, you know, 99% 99% of the world, 95% of the world just think are uh, repugnant, evil, whatever adjective you want to use there. So, um, yeah, not qualified, but that's, those are my, uh, those are my broader thoughts on it where I, like the day this stuff started breaking out, it's just like, man, I cannot believe that we are, I can't believe we're living in a reality where this is still Possible. a, like, yeah, just still a response to, something right it's like um i think we're we're particularly the three of us sitting on this podcast are so insulated from you know, none of us have ever lived in a place that's in our lifetimes that is like legitimately under threat as a war zone and like any amount of like empathy that i'm trying to apply is honestly not going to be enough or the right or like i can't understand the um like how terrifying that must be. So anybody in harm's way or anybody affected by this in any way directly has, you know, as much empathy as I can try and apply. But um, yeah, this it's just kind of surreal to watch something like this play out in real time. And it also gives you pause and think about, you know, this is the, the scale of this in our media cycle. It's not like stuff like this hasn't happened or hasn't been happening consistently since the beginning of time, it really like gives you an insight as to like how the media diet you're, you have, you consume puts light on different issues. And like, I'm not saying that to diminish anything. I'm saying there are plenty of issues that don't reach that bar, but are equally horrific. But like you say, it's a scale and a like eventual consequence that's the barometer that it, that it yeah. makes the news, but like the suffering that happens at scale in perpetuity. Oh yeah, it's everywhere just, all the time, it's right? Just, it's just like, we're just living in a different reality, right? Totally. We're like buying and selling JPEGs and recording podcasts and just fucking 100%. around with our time. We're, and like I, when I say I'm not qualified, it's like not even in like education terms, like emotionally I'm not qualified to Absolutely. understand this stuff. So thanks to anybody listening to this, but like, this is uh, more of a, like, you know, a raw unraveling of like 
reactions than it is like meant to inform you about right. anything. Completely. Well, Jack, what what do you want to say is like uh, to your point is like obviously the cost of prosecuting these wars or prosecuting defense. You know, it's just like you said, oh, it's a drop in the bucket, like what I'm doing or what other people are contributing. But the reality is that the other part that you've mentioned, right, bringing awareness, showing support is like there's no question with how quickly and almost unilaterally 100 percent uh of the global population was like okay this is black and white there's no gray area here this is putin is in the wrong this is fucking evil um we are going to push back against this i mean this forced germany to literally u-turn right an entire political philosophy they had for the last two decades we're going to be uh pursue low defense spending, we're okay to marry our energy system to Russia's, uh, whatever that means geopolitically. Uh, and it, the, the, the popular response has just been so swift and so fast. And, you know, I, I get the sentiment of a lot of, Bilal brought it up, is like, how come this response wasn't for X, Y, Z? You know, 100% fair. Uh, there's just so much mind space, though, and there's something, if you... If you are unable to grasp um, the magnitude of what is going on because of, again, I'm saying there is a nuclear endgame at play here. That's hard for me or anybody to have a conversation with you about that, right? It's like we clearly have different vertical views on the world. And again, I'm not saying I'm right, but this is how I'm seeing it. And to me, this issue, because of how I see the frame of it, is quite significant and it definitely has my attention. Yeah, I completely agree. And Jack, I was just going to say what, what you said before was really well put and uh, can't add much more to what you said. Um, I think that trying to your point, I, I completely agree. Like the reason this is obviously getting as much press as it is because it's a significant moment in time and I'm happy it's getting that much press. It's not to diminish the fact that what's going on here. And I also understand why other conflicts, whether they're Syria, Yemen, Palestine, Israel, uh, add another yeah, you know, more, 20 right? like, more that yeah. have happened in the last 20 years since we've been watching news as adults or whatever, um, almost adults. Um, so, and, and there are legitimate conversations to be had there, probably not for today's session, but... <laughs> um, no, maybe, I, yeah, I don't think... Uh, I don't think, again, we're... That's a can of we're ever going to get there, boys, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. It's, just, it's just, it's too... Not for these. Yeah, it, it's, I agree. I 100% agree. But what I'm saying is for people that are discussing that, I don't think it's a crazy thing for them to discuss it. Like, it's 100%, fine for right? people to do that. There is a question to be, you know, there's multiple layers to it. There's, um, so again, we're not going to go down that rabbit hole today, but, you know, there's important stuff being discussed. And like Jack said, the most important thing right now, obviously, is the people that are suffering, like, from, you know, uh, we know, I've spoken to people even on Twitter DMs that I've never met in person, but are in Ukraine right now. One of my friend's right. wives, uh, his wife, not one of his wives, is uh, there right now trying to leave. Um, and there's so many people, you know, stuck in this. And obviously, we can't come close to understanding what that feels like. We're sitting here in the middle of nowhere talking on a comp on a on a computer right so um anyway so maybe to wrap it up i think was there anything else we wanted to talk about that maybe the the last thing is really the big tech response which ties into the the sanctions but yeah. also the kind of information age stuff um the picture i saw this morning was 
in Russia specifically, um, a lot of people use like Apple Pay or Android Pay or, or whatever it's called nowadays, Google Pay. Um, and, you know, that's been locked off in I'm Russia. I'm showing that that might have actually, I just pulled out, that might have also been debunked. But the, oh, the, broader, really? mes- <laughs> but the broader message is true though, right? Like Netflix yeah. left, uh, Disney pulled the films. Uh, a lot of other studios pulled the films. So bi- so we'll talk about Big Tech very quickly. And then let's talk about the crypto exchanges because I think our listeners want to hear that. Yeah. So Big Tech has actually been dealing with a, a situation in Russia for the past year. So uh, uh, Nalvani, who was the uh, competitor to Putin uh, for leadership in the Russian democratic race, but we all know it's rigged. But basically, Russia told Apple and Google that they had to remove his app. So this is a a political uh, enemy. They had to remove his app from their app stores. And what Russia has actually done is... uh, they're not the only country to do this. India is doing something similar is they have rules now where if you want to operate in the country, uh, the rule is called, um, I don't have the name here, but essentially they will, they're asking Apple, they're asking uh, Google, uh, they're asking uh, these other companies to put an office in Russia and to have a representative in Russia. So, and they're saying, if you don't do that, you can't run your business here. And the reason they do that is so they can intimidate them, right? Is like, for example, if you have an employee in Moscow for your company and they and Russia asks you to pull the plug on a service and you say no, they're like, okay, we're going to, you know, pretend, it's the equivalent to hostage taking. You have an employee here. You should think about their well-being, right? So the interesting thing is like Twitter does not have a physical presence in Russia. So they've been throttling, uh, they've been putting... Uh, warnings on all Russian uh, official communications. Uh, their uh, Twitter's done that. Facebook has also been throttling the main, uh, like Russia Today and Sputnik, which are like the state outlets or state-backed outlets. Um, YouTube has demonetized and, and, and downranked the algorithms for these uh, sites. Um, but yeah, it, it's tricky for big tech because they obviously want to run global businesses, but it's not just going to happen in Russia. It's already happened in China. Like they don't operate there. Facebook doesn't operate in China. Google doesn't operate in China. Uh, this is just effectively, there's going to be countries. India will probably be another one. Uh, uh, Prime Minister Modi is very outspoken about what he thinks should happen to uh, with big tech within their borders. Follow our rules or leave, right? So I think there's that regarding big tech. Um, it's a difficult situation because they are so big. Um, Facebook doesn't, for example, want to shut down uh, Instagram because a lot of the regular citizens that Jack's alluded to that are, didn't want to be involved in this, that's their way to communicate. But then Russia itself is shutting down or throttling access to Twitter and Facebook, right? For obvious reasons. They're trying to control the information environment. So big tech's in a sticky situation that they've been in with these authoritarian states for a long time now. And uh, just probably more of the same. But um, other than that, uh, to talk about the crypto exchanges, if you guys want, I'd love your thoughts on that. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, yeah so the on. big thing yeah, that kind happened? of came out uh, regarding the crypto exchanges was uh, uh, the Ukrainian government asked, uh, as part of the broader sanctions package, to uh, the exchanges to not allow any Russian citizen to trade, buy, sell their crypto assets or to freeze them. Uh, so Coinbase, Kraken, and Binance, uh, they all came out, uh, CEOs, and said basically they are following the sanctions, right? If they're being asked if to sanction 
a oligarch's account, they're doing it. But they're not shutting off the entirety of the country. And I think there's been a bit of a messaging issue. Uh, a Naraj from Corn Center, I think, Jack, you know Naraj a bit. Uh, he's been tweeting out that, you know, the Treasury Department actually says crypto is not a threat to the sanctions. So the U.S. Treasury Department said this. Wow. And he says the crypto exchanges are following the sanction guidelines. But the issue was the messaging they did. And you guys probably saw this. I think you shared it. Kraken, Binance, and Coinbase all took a position along the lines of it is against the ethics of crypto, the ideals of cryptography, you know, uh, cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin for us to uh, freeze people's accounts and take away their financial freedoms. They added that layer when it was actually unnecessary to add a little bit of flowery language. And that's what's getting them in hot water because now everyone's coming out of the woodworks. Everyone that hates crypto says, oh, this is what crypto is for. It's to protect oligarchs, murderers, and uh, warmongering criminals, uh, criminals, right? So I think it was a big messaging mistake. So I love your guys' thoughts on it because the reality is this, is we we talked about last week with Canada. Crypto is a way to get away from authoritarian governments, right? Uh, Not saying that Canada is an authoritarian government, but what they did was, as we talked about, potentially crossing the Rubicon. But uh, yeah, I love your thoughts on that. Well, yeah, I think the the loudest critics of it haven't changed their position, right? Just another attack vector. But I think the thing that you're advocating for is the ability for to confiscate people's wealth based on where they were born, right? Like you happen to live in this country that initiated this conflict. Therefore, like you're everything you've ever worked for is going to drop in value by 80% overnight. Right. Like that, that's the what ruble, you're arguing Let's talk about for. specifically, the ruble has been crushed by the financial sanctions between the central bank freezings and the, the SWIFT. Uh, we didn't talk about SWIFT, but that's the bank communication messaging, which basically uh, connects Russia and all the glo- uh, countries around the globe, right? In the banking system. They've been cut off. Ruble's been crushed, to Jack's point. Yeah, and and... I think it's been proven countless times at this point, but you know, the proof is not what these people are looking for or interested in, or like the idea that um, we've even talked about in the past couple of episodes is that a terrible place to launder money or conduct conduct criminal activity is a public blockchain, right? Rick Burton, uh, our previous exactly, guest. Rick. Yeah. If you if you haven't. Um, if you haven't heard that eloquently explained, Rick Burton does a great job explaining that a couple episodes ago. So the concept of, you know, this is like a shady way to evade law enforcement is also kind of been debunked from every yeah. single different angle. I think what you're arguing against, like I said before, is the ability for people who have been dragged into a conflict to protect their wealth with a particularly Bitcoin, right, with a store of value that is resilient because it runs on this global network. Um, And that, again, these are like macro events and we're analyzing it over a week time frame. But there was a huge catalyst for the value of Bitcoin over the course of this conflict in the last few days. And I would imagine that's a large part of it, right, is people moving out of a currency that is attached to a nation state that's doing insane shit and like moving into a politically neutral money and i think 
what people are trying, I mean, people are trying to make Bitcoin and crypto non-politically neutral, right? Like yeah. code is neutral. Like the way you choose to act once you have value stored in that thing may or may not be interpreted as good, bad, evil, etc. But for, you know, to to even be in a position where everything you've ever worked for can be like completely obliterated overnight. That is, I think, a human rights issue, right? And I think the most eloquent advocates for Bitcoin in particular have made great cases for that. And you can empathize with that when you've been sitting in, you know, the most privileged currency and environmental yes. and societal status yep. your entire life. It's just not something that crosses your mind. But South American countries that have gone through hyperinflation and there's countless examples where people have moved into Bitcoin to protect their wealth. Um, and like you say, if you're removing the ability for that to happen at the nation state level, which again, I'm not technically qualified to talk through, but as far as I understand it, the liquidity in the crypto ecosystem would not even come remotely close to being able to handle that kind yeah, of is like, an transaction going to move $50 billion? Is Putin moving $100 billion? I mean, come, like... It's just so wrongheaded. It's right? just not. It's just not what like Putin's going to go on the Binance. So there's that meme, right? Like the KYC and yeah. buy it like on the market. It's just not going to happen. Um, so I think like it becomes a really easy attack vector and a meme. But you know, over the if you actually zoom out, this is a way to insulate people from the actions of government that they have no desire to be caught up in or affected by. And it is a, like a neutral form of protest, right? It's like, I store my wealth here. Um, and then the, there's obviously a, a, there's a volatility price to pay, but not in the same way as, uh, you know, 80% of the value of this thing has dropped right. overnight because every organization or every nation state on the planet Earth is blacklisting this um, blacklisting this currency. Whereas I think we've talked about a, a little bit about this before. The philosophy on which Bitcoin was founded aimed to um, provide that service to the unbanked, to like the people that had been victims of bad monetary policy, terrible politics. It's just, um, again, easy meme, like an easy thing to, uh, like even the name cryptocurrency, right? The average person just yeah. thinks that that stands for like, oh, I'm, I'm like shady, I'm hiding. stashing money. I'm under, yeah, under, exactly, yeah. I'm hiding. Privacy is not, doesn't get the same reaction. Like people expect privacy, but they don't like, I think that's, that's honestly something for another day. It's like a big branding problem with totally. the name crypto, right? It's like people who attack it can kind of coast off of that, like that uh, interpretation that people have when they hear that, that terminology. But um, yeah, my position on it is uh, you're advocating for something that you don't, you don't really understand the, the consequences of. For a lot well, of people. When we started uh, this podcast, it came across a wire, but Putin banned uh, any citizen from taking more than $10,000 of foreign currency. Um, so right there, right? It's like you literally, you, you now the citizens of Russia, 150 million, 
whatever percentage had nothing to do with this, their wealth literally could go to zero because of what may happen over the following weeks and months from a decision that almost looks certainly made by a single individual, right? Um, and that's been the case throughout history, right? right. Before a technology exactly. like Bitcoin existed. Right. Well, go back to, I mean, how far back do we have to go? I mean, go to every, I mean, uh, the Zimbabwe jokes about hyperinflation, that was literally made by a single individual. I mean, he had a coterie around him, but as a governing entity, dictatorship, authoritarian rule. And the only thing I'd add on that is, more personal note is, uh, I mean, my mom's assets, when she's growing up in Vietnam, they were one, she was a, came from a wealthy Vietnamese family. All those assets were seized, right? They had no recourse. So would it have been nice to have a movable form of wealth that could not, that they could fly as refugees or have on hand as refugees memorized in their head to start a new life in North America? Yeah, that sounds pretty nice. Instead of ending up in North America with zero dollars and no network and no support, right? So I think it goes back to the point you brought, Jack. It's like, and we've talked about it ad nauseum. It's just the idea of like, it's so easy to throw rocks when you can work in your underwear all day and be on the internet and shit posts on Twitter and that's your job. And that's my job. So I'm talking about myself. But I can tell I'm, you- I'm right there with you, man. Directly yeah. from my own family, my direct family, my mother had, I mean, my father's a different story because his family wasn't as wealthy. But my mom had all their assets taken, no recourse, and they're refugees in a new country. Yeah, it would have been nice to have a couple of Bitcoin back then, right? Got anything else on Ukraine before we do cut out? Uh, no, dude, that is like, I mean, dude, you, I mean, you guys are probably serious. It's so fucking emotional, man. It's like, you don't really want to talk about it. It's like, why, you can't just, it's just, you can't not talk about it for, for what we're trying to do. So I don't know, man. I feel, I think it was good though. Like, you know, we were just honest. It's like, I think people want to hear and, and, uh, and, uh, yeah man we had to do it (laughs) (laughs) all right well thanks again for listening all the way here if you made it here let us know and um yeah hang in there everyone and uh we will speak to you on the next one peace out